Good morning. I think most of you have probably heard this story already before, but it's worth retelling again. It's the story of little Luke and his friend Richard uh, and their older brother Brett, who they would go to school every day. They would walk to school, and it was something they enjoyed doing. But when they went on to first grade, Brett, the older brother, went off to a different school. He was in middle school, so it was just Luke and Richard left uh, to walk to school, and they were excited about it because now it wasn't Big Brother uh, watching them anymore. Uh, now uh, they were going to get to go, but the parents were a little nervous about Luke and Richard because they would wander off and walk a little slower, and so um, one of the mothers decided that, that she was going to ask a neighbor to make sure that both of those kids got to school safely. The, the boys didn't know that, though. Luke and Richard were oblivious uh, to that interaction, that conversation. And so they were a little bit nervous, uh, Luke was, when every time uh, they would turn around, uh, turn a corner, they'd look around and they saw this lady behind them pushing a stroller. And he was getting more and more anxious as this woman seemed to catch up, and he thought, oh no, this is our first day of school, and we're going to, somebody's going to kidnap us. And finally, uh, Luke turns to Richard and says, we're in big trouble. This lady is right behind us. She keeps following us. And Richard was a little keener than Luke was, and he says, oh, don't worry about that. That's just Shirley Goodness and her daughter, Marcy. My mom says, they will follow me all the days of my life. <laughs> okay, so there we go. We've got the corny joke out of the way. This morning, what we're going to talk about is traveling mercy. And that's a phrase that you're probably familiar with. In fact, you've probably heard that in a prayer along with the phrases, God guard and direct us and give us a ready red election uh, and give us a hedge of protection. And traveling mercies is a word, a phrase that you've heard many times before, talking about protecting us as we travel. And I want to take a little different spin on that. I want to talk about uh, just how the traveling aspect of that is and how we're asking for God to go with us as we travel. Instead, I want to talk about uh, where are we taking God when we go and where actually is He and what is His role in this whole process. I guess one of the big questions I want to ask, a question that you've probably asked and a question that almost everyone has asked if they've lived any time on this earth is, is, where is God? And I've always been really uncomfortable with the idea of designating a place in which God resides. As if we come here to meet God, because the problem is, if we come here to meet God, it means that when we leave here, God stays here and He's not around. We've been talking about the last several months this idea of worshiping wherever we go. Now, we'll tell you that we come here and worship begins at 9 a.m. or pretty close to it. And in fact, a lot of times we'll have an elder come and stand up, and this is the time that we typically called it the, the call to worship. As though now we can begin worshiping. And we've talked the last couple months about that's something that we're trying to push back a little bit from. That we don't begin worship at 9 a.m. or 9.05. 
that it's not a call to worship, as though we hadn't been doing it. In fact, the reality is, is that as soon as you open your eyes, that was a call to worship. That you began worshiping as you were laying in bed, thinking, do I hit the alarm and snooze for a few more minutes, or do I wake up? A call to worship would begin as you sit and eat breakfast. Your call to worship would begin as you were driving here. There is a call to worship as you leave this place and go to eat. Is it possible to believe that McDonald's or Furs or Roses or Dickies or your kitchen table is your place of worship? We've talked about this the last several months, is that we have a call to worship wherever that we go. And we went even so far to suggest that worship is what you're really called to do. That when you work, you don't go to work to pay the bills. You go to work to worship. It just so happens that you get paid to worship where you work. That you don't go to Walmart to buy groceries. You go to Walmart to worship. It just so happens that you stand in line while you're worshiping there. You don't go to an Eagles game to watch some children, some kids throw or kick or catch a ball. You go there to worship. And it just so happens you get to watch a basketball championship. You see, the things that we do are places and opportunities in which we can worship. And so the question then becomes, what is God's role in all of this? If I go to Walmart to worship, what's God's role in all of this? Is it quite possible that if you set your heart on going to Walmart to worship, while you pick up some milk and eggs, is it possible to believe that God has orchestrated an opportunity in which somebody standing near the butter just needs an encouraging word? Maybe God is making those opportunities. Where is God? He's everywhere. And I think we can all concede that God is everywhere physically speaking, but this morning where I really want to transition to is where is God, not in places that we go, but in emotions that we have, in these, these different areas and chapters of our life. Where is God in the purpose? We talk about traveling mercies, that God would attend to us when we travel. But what if we, when we find ourselves broken down? Where is God in the sadness? Where is God in the loss? Where is God in the frustration? Where is God in the loneliness? Where is God in the absence? Where is God in the anger? Where is He in the confusion? Where is He in the turmoil? 
Where is the, the depression? When we are in our dark moments, where is God? Eli Wiesel wrote a book entitled Night. And at one point, he describes an experience that he faced while in a German concentration camp. One day, he writes, as we returned from work, we saw three gallows. The SS guards were more preoccupied and more worried than usual. To hang a child in front of thousands of onlookers was no small matter. The head of the camp read the verdict. All eyes were on the child. He was pale, almost calm, but he was biting his lip. He stood there in the shadow of the gallows, and someone behind me said, Where is merciful God? Where is he? At the signal, the three chairs were tipped over. And then came the march past the victims. The two men were no longer alive, but the child, too white, was still breathing. And so he remained there for more than half an hour, lingering between life and death. Behind me, I heard the same man ask again, For God's sakes, somebody tell me, where is God? And from within me, I heard a voice answer. Where is he? This is where. Hanging from the gallows. Eli Beasel, in his book, shared other experiences, horrific experiences about his life in a concentration camp. But he, he tries to address and answer the question of where is God in our hurt. And as I read that years ago, I kept thinking, where is God in our hurt? Where is God in our sadness, in our loss? If you must know, He's right there. He's right there with us. He never leaves us. Psalm 139, starting in verse 1, says this, O Lord, You searched me and You know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hid me in, behind, and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, wonderful for me too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle in the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. 
For darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when you made me in that secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them. Psalm 139. David talks about this idea, this belief, this understanding that God is everywhere. My favorite part is not the, the part that we're most familiar with about how he formed us when we are in our mother's womb, but the idea of that no matter where we go, that if we go up to the heavens, you are there. If we go down to the depths, that Hebrew word is Sheol, which is what we understand as hell. Whether we are on top at the very highest or we're down at the very bottom, no matter where we are, God is with us. We can't hide from Him. We can't run from Him. And we never get so far away that He can't reach us. Romans chapter 8 says this, No, in all things we are more than conquerors for those who love Him. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. We can't run so far away from God and we can't fall so far that He says, I can't reach you anymore. We have a God who just keeps going. You want to talk about traveling mercy? It was the fact that Jesus Christ would leave heaven with the angels. I don't know what heaven is like, but I know it's better than what we have here. And when Jesus came here, he didn't choose a palace. He chose to be born in a manger as an illegitimate child of a teenage daughter to a carpenter who grew up being made fun of because of where he was in the situation. He chose to leave that. Jesus is our traveling mercy. He offers us grace beyond what we deserve and love beyond what we can comprehend. We're going to do things just a little bit differently in the last few minutes. What I want to do is we're going to do a little bit of um, reading from Psalm 136. If you have your Bible, feel free to turn with me there. I get all the fun of doing all the talking. Today, that changes. We're going to start off really easy. And what we're going to do is we're going to do a little bit of responsive breathing. Many of you are probably familiar with this. There is one phrase that you hear over and over again. That's your phrase. I don't get it. It's yours. You get to say it. 
And so I'm going to give you a read a statement. The beginning of each verse will make a statement about the Lord and what He's done, and you will respond with, His love endures forever. Do we have that? His love endures forever. Four words. Okay, so we're just going to practice. Here we go. On the count of three, we're going to do His love endures forever. One, two, three. His love endures forever. Okay, now hang on tight, because we were going to do that, say, oh, about 26 more times. Here we go. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. To Him who alone does great wonders. His love endures forever. Who by His understanding made the heavens. His love endures forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters. His love endures forever. Who made the great lights. His love endures forever. The sun to govern the day. His love endures forever. The moon and stars to govern the night. His love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. His love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, to him who divided the Red Sea asunder and brought Israel through the midst of it, but swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea, to him who led his people through the desert. Who struck down the great kings and killed the mighty kings? Sion, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and gave their, their land as an inheritance, an inheritance to his servant Israel. To the one who remembered us in our lowly estate. His love endures forever. And freed us from our enemies. His love endures forever. And who gives food to every creature. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. God's love endures forever. His mercy, it travels. There is no place that you can go. There is no chapter or season in your life where you can look around and say, you know what, God's not here anymore. I messed up too bad, or our government's too bad, or things aren't working the way they should, and God just says, well, that's it, I'm walking away. His, what? Love endures forever. Let me tell you about something. I got a phone call earlier this week. Dear friend of mine, her name is Allison it's Peterson, that's her married name, but she was Allison Gerard to me and Jennifer and to the whole youth group in Mansfield, Texas, where she was in our youth group for a long time. And Allison is one of a kind. She broke the mold. She was wild and crazy and funny and just she loved the Lord. And I had just a wonderful time uh, working with her and her family and her sister, and we became really close. Uh, you can even ask why now. He was young then, but he can still still tell you stories about Allison. Allison, uh, I married Allison and Brandon several years ago, and we had kept really in close touch. 
She called me several months ago and was ecstatic that she was pregnant with twins. And they were going to have two girls, Avery and Olivia. This Wednesday she called me back and, and uh, as soon as she said hi, I immediately knew something. And I said, what's going on? And she began to talk. And she said, I went to the dog. And Olivia died. And I'm very unfamiliar with the process of twins. My wife and I, some of you may know, my wife, uh, we, we have been through five pregnancies. And we have three children. Uh, and in fact, Allison was one of the kids in our youth group when we lost the first one. It was a pretty difficult time. Her and some other kids kind of swap roles, and they did some ministering to us in a real powerful way. And they were just teenagers. They didn't know what to do, but they just hung around with us, stuck with us. And she just saw and, and she began to tell me what, what actually this meant. And, and little Avery, the, the other daughter she's carrying, she's 22 weeks old. And she described what's going to take place and what the doctors are hoping. 75% everything's okay, 25% there could be some complications and they could be mild to, to very severe to fatal for little age. And, and the bittersweet day that's going to happen when she gives birth to Avery and then to Olivia. And they will be celebrating life and mourning death all in that hospital room. And, and I have committed, and I'm going to ask if, if many of you are willing to commit to pray for Allison and Brent and, and little Avery. But here's my response. When you're in the doctor's room and you get the bad his love I've asked you to repeat something pretty simple, yet, yet profound. And I've never done this before, and this may not work at all. But there's about 200 people here in this room. And some of you are going through some really highs in your life, and some of you are going through some pretty lows in your life. And I don't know if this is going to work at all. But we're going to try this right now. This is going to be volunteer only. But if you can say in one sentence a situation that happened and may be happening in your life, and start with when. When I get a new job, when I'm struggling in my marriage, when I haven't talked, when I haven't spoken to my son in months, our response will then be, is love endures forever. We're a community of believers. We're a family. And so I just want to take a moment. If anybody has something that's on their heart that they want to lift up, we want to respond to that with a God whose love endures forever.
when I know that I've offered God less than my best. His love endures forever. When my I'm sorry, I'm, I apologize. I want to repeat because there's some people who are not going to be able to hear, and then we'll, we'll do this. When my depression causes procrastination, and I just don't feel like I can go on. Love and When I make lousy decisions that doesn't allow me to put all my faith in God, His love endures forever. When sometimes our children make bad decisions in their lives, His love endures forever. grandsons is in a situation he doesn't need to be in. His love endures forever. I want to do something a little bit different. I want to keep doing this for just a minute or two. Um, but I don't want you to say this to me. As best as you can, when somebody makes that statement, try to turn and, and do your best to make eye contact with them because what we're doing is we're offering them a statement of faith that we believe in their difficult time, or even in their time of joy. Let's continue. When I don't know the answer, His love endures forever. some of you pretty well, and I know when I hear these stories about how issues
please know that there is no place that you have been or you will ever go in which his love will not travel with you and his mercy will not follow. That there is no place that you can currently be in your life in which God says, I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going there. If David the psalmist would write that God would go all the way down to hell to be there and never give up on David, would he not be the same God who would send his son, who would die for us and say, my love, my mercy, my grace, my forgiveness, my compassion, it will travel. Whatever's going on in your life right now. I want you to find some time this week. Find a place that's quiet. And remind yourself that there is a God whose love endures forever. Stand in front of the mirror and look at that person in the eyes and say, his love for me endures forever. If you have forgotten that, my prayer this morning is that you have been reminded of a God whose love endures forever. And if this has been a reminder and you've been basking in this for quite a while, let us give thanks that we have a God whose love endures forever. Don't let Satan lie anymore. Any lies about how you're not good enough, that's over with. If God will give his all, can't it be good enough for us? There is nothing more that God can do. He gave his best. He sent his son. His son came down and he lived and he died for us. His son rose again, ascended up into heaven, and he has prepared a place for us, Charlie. And the one thing you need to know is that his love endures forever. If you have forgotten that, please be reminded of that. If you remember that, please tell other people out in your neighborhood, in your family, in your community, wherever you go. Let people know that God is not dead and his love endures forever. If you needed to be reminded of that, if you need someone to look you in the eyes and tell you that and walk with you, I want to let you know that we're a family who wants to do that. And as we stand and sing this song of invitation, don't forget this. Everybody right now, his love endures forever. Let's stand and sing.